Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There, bonus Patreon episode. Here we are, nature nerds. We're back. I know it's been a little while, but uh, we were actually uh, supposed to record yesterday, but something happened, didn't it, Megan? All the things, all the things happening this week. No, let me tell you what happened yesterday. About what you did? Yes. I I had to postpone for, um, it was a good cause. I had to go watch a Journey (laughs) cover band at the Oklahoma State Fair. It's part of my recovery. So it was, you know, it needed to happen. That's how I'm getting well. Yes. And you sent me a lot of videos and photos that I will treasure forever. I don't know. It made me feel really good that basically everybody in front of you was just sitting down. Everybody was sitting down for most of the Listen, photos you sent me until kind of like towards the end. Pretty much there was nobody under the age of 40 in the whole audience. But you know what? I love it. Don't stop believing, Megan. Hold on to that feeling because don't, you know, I'm not, listen. I'm going to hold on forever. <laughs> anyway, thanks patrons for all your patience. I uh, had a little unexpected uh, time away. So, but I'm back and we're back and we have a bonus episode for you. It's amazing. I am pretty excited about this bonus episode. Um, but before we get there, Jen, do you have a science news to share with us today? I absolutely do. This is a science news for you. And this is um, something I found recently that was kind of like, I feel like it's something similar to what I'm dealing with here, but this is happening in Australia. So let me talk about that first. So this is from pretty recent from last week. Apparently there is a little town just north of Brisbane, about 150 miles north with just a population of 220 people. This small community takes really good care of their property and their yards, and in doing so, have somehow inadvertently invited dozens and dozens of kangaroos into their small town. So the headline is, this tiny village in Australia is under siege by a gang of 80 aggressive kangaroos. And I was like, tell me more, please. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So this is in um, a town called Maroom. It's in, like I said, in north of Brisbane. And apparently they have um, an angry kangaroo mob lingering around their houses. And they're eastern gray kangaroos. So a lot of people are really scared to encounter them. So they've been kind of like held up in their houses just waiting for them to leave. And according to the caravan park manager, her name is Karen Sutcliffe. She told ABC News Australia that there's just too many to count, really. And people are walking around with a big stick now. I've been wanting to go fishing of an afternoon, but I won't do that just in case the kangaroos get me. They're just so quick and you don't know where they are. (laughs) I mean, 
It's not oh my funny, God. but I just picture like them kind of like you know carrying what? around trees, like really with like, yes, with, like little angry eyes. It makes me think of that picture someone sent us or it was a meme or something of a kangaroo in the middle of a lake. Just like you could just see like the head, a little bit of the shoulders. Yeah, because they can And swim. it was like ominously staring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, Jen, quick question. Do these kangaroos wear fingerless gloves with rhinestones on them? That's I'm well, just imagining it I, in my mind. I mean, I'm pretty sure they do. And do they like snap when mm-hmm, they walk? Mm-hmm. They're like a game. guaranteed guaranteed. Anyway, <laughs> so she also said that there's we've counted more than 60 to 80 kangaroos on any given day within the town itself and the local forests that surround that wouldn't Jesus. support that many kangaroos. So they looked into why they thought these kangaroos had suddenly started showing up. And they said that according to, and I'm using air quotes, experts, I don't know who that is, but the sudden prevalence of kangaroos and their aggression, because usually it's just males at a certain age that can be aggressive. But Mm -hmm. apparently these Mm -hmm. are, a lot of them are females. And they're not quite sure why they're being aggressive because they say that only one person is known to have died from a kangaroo attack, and that was in 1936. And so the fact that these are all female is really unusual, but I do have a little bit of information about that from this article. They said, while there are actually a few attacks with kangaroos in Queensland, mostly they're dealing with male kangaroos, and it's usually a territorial or mating display. So all of these in Maroom have been female kangaroos with a joey. So that kind of explains that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Right? And they also said that because these people take such good care of their lawns, that they're moving in and they're starting to munch on their front lawns. So they said the last couple of years, we've had a La Nina where we get a lot more rain and conditions that are conducive to grass growing and we all manage our lawns very well. So some people are very good mowers and they keep it shorter, which means fewer kangaroos in our yard. And if you don't mow as regularly, you're going to get big herds coming into your yard. I mean, that'll get you out there mowing oh, your grass. Snap. <laughs> right? Um, and oh, God. They also said they've multiplied because we've provided a sizzler smash the smorgasbord for them. <laughs> Like the Sizzler reference. Wait, wait, wait. Are they talking about like, like a Sizzler restaurant? Like Sizzler. Like the Sizzler? What else would they oh be my talking God. about? I mean, no I just lie. think it has to be Sizzler. Do, but do Sizzlers still exist? I would love to go to one if they do. I, I mean, somebody <laughs> let us know. Do you have a Sizzlers in your neighborhood? We just need to know. But unfortunately, right? according I to... I feel like... What? Okay, go ahead. What? Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I feel like when I was young growing up, my poppy was always like, that was like the height, right? The sizzler or the red lobster. That was like height of luxury. Oh, for you sure. You knew it was special. For sure. Or Olive Garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, forget about it. That oh, was yeah. maybe a little later, but Where still. your family. When they would sing at your <laughs> table, you're like, well, this is really fancy. <laughs> anyway. so fancy. So... They said, unfortunately, according to the Daily Mail, there was a 67-year-old woman who was knocked over and kicked by a kangaroo, leaving her with a broken femur. Yikes. That's a femur? Jesus. That's a big, that's a big bone. Don't you die from that? Yes. I feel like you can die Luckily, from that. Luckily, she didn't. I don't think. And um, she also oh had bite gosh. marks. And there was another resident that was also attacked and left with a spinal injury. So that's really no oh, good. Wow. So they said that there's no plans to call the kangaroo population because the residents, they pretty much are like, we're just going to 
just hide in our houses, you know, like maybe that'll happen. But one reason that they thought that maybe they were becoming a little more aggressive. And I want to know, just tell me if you've heard about this. So another reason that they might have been getting a little aggressive, apparently, and this is a quote, the other thing that we've uh, we've had reported is that there are other people in the town that are potentially using things like gel blasters to discourage kangaroos, and that can have a negative effect, obviously, on how the animals oh, will react. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to make them aggressive. Did you know what a gel blaster yeah, was? Nice. Just asking. Is that like a water pistol? Like a... Like a super sucker? It's like no, it's like a paintball gun. But the I had to look Wait, it up what? because I had no idea what a gel blaster is. But apparently it's like a paintball gun, but they're like tiny little gel like water soluble little balls. They're smaller than a paintball. So I guess it doesn't hurt as bad, but still, I mean, come on, people. Kangaroos aren't Ugh, that bad. That's awful. You could put so, an eye out with that. Seriously. So anyway, so they said they hope that people won't be mistreating them and, you know, just kind of give them some time to move along their way. But the reason I thought this kind of reminded me of the current situation, because, you know, I've been in Oklahoma for a few weeks and um, in my I'm staying with my sister and in her neighborhood around further down the road, there's a pond. And there has been Mm -hmm. a ton of geese. I know I've told you about it while I've been here. Like there's been people like their whole yard is just covered in canadian geese and i'm like good god <laughs> don't come out of your house it's so frightening like if i walked out and luckily they haven't gone to my sister's house they must not be appealing but when i like if i walked out of her house and there was all those geese i would just go right back inside i'd be like well yeah yeah cancel those plans don't even try it i'm not trying it <laughs> never mind yeah oh, so man. in a way i was like they have kangaroos we have geese Heard like just tons of Canadian geese flocks. Amazing. Anyway, (laughs) hopefully things will work out. Uh, Thank you for that science news. That was great. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. we'll we'll send our best to you and hope it all works out with the kangaroos. So, Megan, I'm excited to hear your story today. Are you? Oh, I'm excited to tell you. I'm going to, you know what? This episode is a suggestion from one of our friends and kick-ass patron, Laura L., Oh, yeah. Um, I just want to say we miss you, Laura. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, thank you for this suggestion. Mm -hmm. I know, right? Um, Come back to Guam. Uh, We are going to talk today about a little lake, or actually kind of a big lake. It's called Lake Lanier, (gasps) and it is in Georgia, my semi-home state. Dude. I was totally going to do that episode. I'm so excited. I started reading about it, and I was like, maybe I should leave this one for Megan because it's Georgia. It's Georgia. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm glad you did not already prep for this. That would be unfortunate. No, I actually have an Oklahoma-centric episode coming up on the next one. Yeah, it's going to be great. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. So are you ready for some basic facts? We're going to start out with some basic facts about Lake Lanier. We know you love the basic facts. Let's do it. Uh, Do you know what? They're great. Uh, All right. So just real quick, the Army Corps of Engineers created Lake Lanier, and they actually operate 464 lakes in 43 states. And I did not know that. So I just thought I'd throw that out to you guys. And of course, Lake Lanier is one of them. It is the largest lake in Georgia. It has nearly 700 miles of shoreline, and that's over 38,000 acres. It's a big lake. That's a big lake. A lot of water. 
The water in Lake Lanier comes from the Blue Ridge Mountains, the Georgia Blue Ridge Mountains, and it comes down through the the Chattahoochee and the Chestatee Rivers, the Chattahoochee. Mm -hmm. Such a great river. Uh, This lake was created when the Army Corps of Engineers built what's called the Buford Dam on the south end of the lake in 1956. And we'll talk a little bit more about the dam and the process of damming it up and all of that business, but we're just basic (laughs) facts. Uh, Today, Lake Lanier has about 625 billion gallons of water. That is the equivalent of 950,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools. Okay. Just think about that. That's a lot of water. That's a big lake. Uh, The lake is in Hall, Forsyth, Dawson, Gwinnett, and Lumpkin counties. And there are over 10 million people. I read someplace else it was like 11 million people that visit the lake every year. That's a lot of visitors. And Lake Lanier has over 90 core state, county, and city parks all over the shorelines and like surrounding areas. People do a lot of like skiing and boogie boarding on there. Oh, yeah. Most popular activities, number one, fishing, boating, camping, golf, kayaking, water skiing, and swimming. All of those fun. There's a lot of dads like things. almost murdering their family, like going too fast, <laughs> pulling their kids around. The rowing and sprint. I think I'm saying this right. Sprint canoeing events during the 1996 Summer Olympics were held on the north end of Lake Lanier. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of a fun fact. There have been other international events that have been hosted there. There was the 2003 Sprint World Championships, 2016 Pan American Sprint Canoe slash Kayak Championships, and the 2018 ICF Dragon Boat World Championships. And I did also read that there are like some like Asian festivals are held up there uh, for dragon boats, like Chinese dragon boat festivals are held on Lake Lanier, which I find to be, well, yeah, but like in Georgia, it's, we'll get to it because this is an interesting area, this lake. Well, it's in North Georgia. Well, it's not in the city. You know what I mean? If you do like canoe racing, I think people do dragon boat racing in a lot of places in the U.S. And also, um, yes, you know, it's like, cause you just get two canoes tied together, but yeah, we do it in Guam. Right, right, right. That's all right. That's cool. (laughs) So one resort hotel is on the lake. It's called Legacy Lodge. It was formerly called Emerald Point Hotel. And there is a second hotel that used to be there called Pine Isle, and it was demolished in 2008. And then in 2017, this company, I feel like I should know who this is. It was like a bunch of stuff that I read about. Margaritaville took over Lanier Islands Park. So apparently Margaritaville leases the land that they're on to have this Lanier Islands Park. They lease it from the Lake Lanier Islands Development Authority, who also leases that land from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. It just seems like a racket to me. There's a lot of side note. They film Ozark on this lake. Mm. And if you have watched Ozark... yes. I feel like this is just some money laundering stuff that's going on here with Margaritaville. Like just they're just accurate. cleaning Are money. Are you trying to blame Jimmy Buffett for something? Yes. I don't think so. <laughs> Listen, I mean, maybe not Jimmy Buffett in particular, but I'm just saying, mm-hmm. Lake businesses. I don't trust them now. I've watched all the Ozarks. I've, I'm waiting on the new season. I'm saying I maybe you do not trust anybody Ozarks. on a lake. That's all. Oh, I, I see Possible. what you mean. <laughs> I'm just educating myself on lake <laughs> politics, you know, 
All right. Uh, this is the last little fact here. Every year from mid-November through January, Lake Lanier Islands holds the Magical Night of Lights. It's a lighted animated drive through display that ends with a Christmas village, carnival rides, bonfires, Santa shop, and live nativity. Uh, it's six miles long, and it is apparently, it's called the largest animated light show in the Southeast, and it's also one of the world's largest light shows. So very exciting. I've only been to... Oh, what is the name? There's like this golf club in the south of Georgia that always has like a drive through thing. Somebody's probably yelling at it right now. I'm, I cannot remember the name of it. Oh, Callaway Gardens. Callaway Gardens. Light. I've been to that one, but I've never been to Lake Lanier. Just get your hot cocoa show. ready and go see. <laughs> yeah. A little blanket. It'll be great. Go see the largest right. so light show. Let's, so many light shows in Georgia, honestly. They're really into that. Okay. So let's talk about history. Forsyth County, which is on the western, kind of like southwestern side, was once part of the Cherokee Nation. And in the 1830s, it became one of the southeasternmost origins of the Trail of Tears. Mm -hmm. So not so great. Nope. Um, until 1912, approximately uh, 1,100 Black people owned land and operated businesses in Forsyth County. And then on September 9th, 1912, this is kind of a notable, a lot of people know about this. Uh, there was an 18-year-old white woman named May Crow. She was raped and murdered close to a place called Brown's Bridge, and that's on the banks of the Chattahoochee River. And it's really close to a village, or it's inside the village of what's what was called Oscarville. Mm -hmm. And this crime was blamed on four young Black people because it's 1912. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the 1,100 Black people who lived in this area of Oscarville, Forsyth County, were like really successful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had their own farms, their own businesses. They were like living their, their lives. And then this happens automatically blamed on four young Black people. Not cool. So the four uh, young folks were 16-year-old Ernest Knox, his 18-year-old cousin, Oscar Daniel, 22-year-old Trussie Jane Daniel, who's Oscar's sister, and a 24-year-old named Robert Big Rob Ed Edwards. Mm -hmm. um, Big Rob Edwards was arrested pretty uh, quickly. And on the day that he was arrested, there was a white mob who came to the courthouse where he was being held, took him from his cell. Uh, they shot, dragged him through the town and eventually hung him from a telephone pole outside of the county seat courthouse in Cumming, Georgia. So that's like a county over from Forsyth. And this was just the beginning of uh, a lot of racial violence in this area. So after Edwards was lynched, uh, mobs made up of white men, uh, they were called night riders. They went from door to door in Forsyth and Oscarville uh, with torches and guns. They burned down black churches and businesses. And then they demanded that all black residents of Forsyth County leave immediately. So it was like a full on attack on the black community. They drove them out of town. Um, mm -hmm. They did leave. The residents were like, OK, we're we're leaving. Like this is scary as hell. Yeah. Um, yeah. They abandoned their land, um, all their crops, homes, their belongings. Um, and then the people who were in that Night Rider mob went through and took whatever they left behind. Just yeah, I feel like freaking I've awful. read a lot about this before. And I've also, I'm trying to figure out, I feel like there's also, this was talked about on a podcast and I can't remember which one it was, but I mean, it's a pretty significant event yeah. that happened because it was, it's kind of like the, the Tulsa massacre. I mean, it was just like completely trying yes. to erase people and stop anybody from being successful, you know, in any of the black communities. Any kind of progress. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I grew up in Georgia. I'd never heard this story in history class. Yeah, I grew even up in Black Oklahoma history Month, and I even, never heard about the Tulsa massacre. No one talks about these. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad that there are more people learning and talking about, I mean, this is like a period of time, you know, in the early 1900s where Black people were trying to live their lives and do what they could to survive. And white people saw them progressing and couldn't handle it. <laughs> you know, they're just full on racist bigots. Since I've been in the U.S. Um, last few weeks, and I didn't know this because I feel like we are sometimes a little bit out of touch being in Guam, which we, I think, is kind of like a good yeah. thing and a bad thing. But um, yeah, there's yeah. all these schools, the public schools banning books. And I, I mean, it's for sure happening here in Oklahoma. I mean, there's crazy stuff happening here. It's just like, get me the hell out. But yeah, it's, banning books. They fired so a nuts. teacher for sharing a, what is it called? The Q, the code that's like that you scan the QR code. Oh, a QR code. Yeah. She was yeah. sharing a QR code for, to students. So where they could get these books because they couldn't get them in the school and she got fired. That just happened. Wow. Yeah. That's like to kill man. a mockingbird, like catch her in the rye. I mean, all of them not allowed. It's wild. Not okay. Yeah. It's messed up. Anyway, I'll throw that the in there. The world sucks. <laughs> There's a lot of really messed Let's up all be stuff better. happening. <laughs> I just want to go back to Guam. Or <laughs> just like, cry it out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And help out wherever you can. Mm-hmm. So a month after this happened. So in September, you know, this May Crow had, had been murdered uh, that same month. Uh Big Rob Edwards was lynched. Then in October, a jury convicted, of course. They took a little over an hour to convict Ernest Knox and Oscar Daniel for May Crow's killing. So, of course, I'm 100% positive it was, you know, 12 white men. For sure. Who did this convicting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 5,000 people showed up to watch these two teenagers, teenagers, Jen, be hanged. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is widely believed today that these victims, these men who were lynched and hung, I mean, I would call them court-sanctioned lynchings. Um, it's widely believed today that they were innocent. Everybody was innocent. Mm-hmm. The one sister, Oscar's sister, um, they decided not to charge her. And I, I'm assuming because she was a woman, maybe, they decided not to charge her. But uh, yeah. it is horrible history for this area. Yeah. Uh, so... Before all of the Black families were run from their homes, the Black residents of Oscarville, Forsyth County, Oscarville, made up about 10% of the population in 1912. From then through when the Buford Dam was created in 1956 and up until 1994, there were no Black people living in Forsyth County. Zero percent. Well, Decades. Yeah, I don't blame them. After that happened, I'd stay the hell <laughs> out of I wouldn't want to go back either. Can you yeah. imagine? <laughs> How scary is that? Right? Yeah. That's terrible. It's insane. Um, The reason, like early 90s, Black people started going back there was that in January 1987, Hosea Williams, who marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama in 1965, attempted to uh, lead a unity march in Forsyth to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, Of course, the first attempt, he was met with counter-protesters, violence, just full-on racism. A week later, uh, Williams tried it again, and Coretta Scott King, John Lewis, Jesse Jackson, and 20,000 more marchers showed up to the coming courthouse. That's where Big Rob Edwards was hung, was uh, lynched, and it was the largest civil rights demonstration since Dr. King's funeral in 1968. 
Wow. So they were like, we're going to come back here. Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Not okay. You guys kicked us out. Yeah. And then in 1990, or 1990 or 1994, I'm not sure. I read two different numbers. 16 Black people, 635 Latinx, and 81 Asians moved to Forsyth County. <laughs> they were like, all right, like this march happened in 1987. It's been three years. Let's move up there. Yeah. We're doing it. Hell yeah. Um, currently, the Black population in the area is around 4%. So uh-huh. not 10. <laughs> it needs to be higher. It does. More diversity would be better. There are a lot of Latinx families that live in Forsyth County. Um, and I'm, I feel like Hall County too. I vaguely remember, uh, when I was leaving, I mean, there's a huge Latin population in Atlanta. Um, also Asian yeah. where I lived, it was like kind of the perimeter of the city and yeah, it was very diverse. It was great. All right. So that was a fun history. <laughs> Just super depressing. Actually not. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the reservoir history. So in order to make Lake Lanier, uh, there was a dam that was built, the Buford Dam, like I said, which I feel like Buford is a Confederate name. And, you know, I didn't look it up, but I'm almost 100 percent that he was like a Confederate guy and they should change the name of that dam. But in 1956, the Buford Dam was finished. Uh, the main reasons for this dam was to help with flood control of the area uh, and also downstream uh, into Atlanta. So stopping floods from getting to Atlanta hydroelectric power, water supply, especially for the residents of Atlanta, and recreation. Uh, since the construction of the Buford Dam, there have been only three major flooding events in the downstream section. The most severe flooding event was in 2009, following a two-year drought, which we'll talk about. And then the most recent was in 2013. So the groundbreaking for the dam started in 1950, and it cost around $1 billion at the time. Like the total project was going to be $1 billion, which in today's money, Jen, is $12,289,253,112.03. Well, good thing you got the three cents in there. I was thinking so, like a billion dollars in 1950 is a, it's a lot. That is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, a stretch of the Georgia Highway 53 had to be abandoned uh, because it was too close to the shoreline, the planned shoreline. And then the Gainesville Looper Speedway was also condemned and abandoned. And we'll talk about more of the abandoned things in just a minute. There's a little bit of controversy. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers had spent about $2 million on the preliminary construction. And the House Appropriations Committee in D.C. was like, no more money. We're done. We don't want to do this anymore. So the mayor of Atlanta at the time, William Hartsfield, which you will know that name from the Hartsfield, Atlanta. I think it's Hartsfield Jackson Airport now. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so William Hartsfield went up to D.C. a number of times and he went to the Georgia senators there and he was like putting the pressure on. Again, I'm just assuming that they're just handing money to people. <laughs> just like get this done. Here's you can have a lake house when the lake is done. Like just we need to get this finished. Uh, so they got the money. Uh, the House Appropriations Committee approved it. Um, and he had to do that again in 1955 for the last $11 million to finish it out. And then Lake Lanier began filling up in 1956. So. Wow. In the early fall of 1958, the region had two solid months of drought. And apparently this, like the drought was so bad, it would have left the Chattahoochee and all those tributaries in that area basically bone dry. But because the dam had been built and they had the reserve of Lake Lanier, everything was okay. So good job, I guess. I guess. Although I still don't really like damming up areas and creating man-made lakes and all of that. It always makes me it's think of, um, oh, brother, where art thou? You know, and the yes. everything like the lake poured in and it was like where their house was. 
I always think about that. Yeah. You know, because I grew up on the lake and I was always like, what's mm-hmm. under here? Like, what? You can't see. You never know. You can't even see your own hand. Like, once you put it under the water, you know, I mean, it's so murky and you dark. It's, I don't know. Like, lakes are it, so creepy. It didn't creep me out a lot. I was just like, oh, it's really, you know, green brown. And there were times when I'm like, there's something under here. And I bet you there was. Right? Yeah. Seriously. Oh, I we'll think talk they about just it. Let... We're going to talk about it in Lake Lanier. Oh, my God. I'll never go in that lake. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so like this should have been, a, this um, been a, like a Halloween episode. Oh, maybe. Well, too late. Too late. It's happening. <laughs> We're you're doing it now. Little, you're getting a little spooky stuff uh, early this year. That's right. You know what? Halloween is really a whole season. <laughs> that's like right. Like September, October, a little bit into November. <laughs> <laughs> it goes on forever, you guys. Uh, All right. So since the 1990s, the Army Corps of Engineers, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama have all been fighting for use of the water that's held in Lake Lanier. A federal law actually mandates that when the river flows between two or more states, each state has a right to an equal share of the water. And because the Chattahoochee River Basin is like insane, uh, you know, goes all the way to Florida. There's parts of it that go to Georgia. The the other river that I can never say the name of, Chestity. There we go. There are also laws like the Endangered Species Act that require that the water be available to preserve and support the threatened and endangered species that live in or around the Chattahoochee River and the Apalachicola Bay. So, there, yeah, there's a lot of stuff downstream that they need to account for. And if you don't have the right water flow for certain species, fish, fish species, bird species, they rely on these areas. You can't, you know, and if they're endangered you have to be able to provide for them too. So it's not just about, you know, you get to go boat on this lake and you get water to water your lawn or drink from or whatever, but also you have to take all these other things into account. So there's just always a lot of lawsuits kind of going back and forth. Uh, You know, who's going to get the rights to this or everybody's trying to sue the Army Corps of Engineers, (laughs) which I mean, sometimes they deserve it. So just saying. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) According to the Army Corps of Engineers, the dam has a current installed capacity of 126 megawatts and a hydraulic head of 136 feet. Basically makes a lot of power for Mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the drought from 2007 to 2009. If you will remember, this is a time period in our nation in the U.S. of A., uh, that was not doing so great. Like 2007, okay, but 2008, 2009, yikes. Right. So, uh, so June of 2006, Army Corps of Engineers was like, our bad. Uh, you know, we installed that new lake gauge at the dam. We replaced it in December of 2005. Turns out we didn't properly calibrate it. So when we do our readings, we're actually reading two feet higher than the actual level of the lake. So... That meant that they had been releasing excess water, like, right? If they're thinking that it's saying like 10, but it's actually eight. Yes. And then on top of it, because of the gauge being wrong, they released nearly 22 billion U.S. gallons or 82 billion liters of excess water due to this error. Wow. They let it all go. On top of that, there was already an excess of water set to release to ensure the successful spawning of Gulf sturgeon in the Apalachicola River and to protect several species of oysters in Apalachicola Bay from excessive saltwater intrusion. So they were just like pumping water out all over the place because they had the gauges wrong. Uh, At the time, the Georgia governor, Sonny Perdue, said that the uh, Army Corps of Engineers had created a, quote, man-made drought 
because most of the state was already having dry conditions. So there were dry conditions going on. They release all this crazy excess water. Uh, And my question to you, Jen, is why do you think there were drier conditions? Do you know? Wait, they were pumping out water? It's like kind of connected. Yes. There was like the lake was going down already because, I mean, there's the weather conditions, right? Yeah. But on top of that, because in, you know, the preceding years, there was a massive housing boom and the suburban growth of like Metro Atlanta Ah. all the way up to like Forsyth County, Uh there are all these houses and what do houses need that forests don't? You got to water your lawn. Got to water your lawn. (laughs) So there were, yeah, all these people buying up real estate because the market was insane, Mm -hmm. creating that nice little bubble. Everybody's watering their lawns where there used to be trees Mm -hmm. and the forest. And that contributed even more to the drought conditions that were going on. Right. So but blame the governor's the office Corps. declared a drought, but yeah, blame them for sure. <laughs> I mean, definitely there's a lot of factors. <laughs> like who was a lot that of factors, tech that didn't calibrate their equipment? I Hey, listen, you know let's what? Just, let's just do a <laughs> PSA right now. Calibrate your shit. Okay. Just do it. Calibrate your shit. You know what? That tech was probably like the guy in the U.S. that everybody was like, wow, that guy. And then the Hawaii... <laughs> The missile thing happened, and then they were like, "Okay, J.K., that guy, you're fine. <laughs> that was, you're okay. Oh, yeah, but yeah, just calibrate." All right. So the governor's office declared a drought and enacted a ban on outdoor water use from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then they did like a weekly odd even based on your address, odd even system. And actually, I was in Georgia. In 2009, and I remember this was a thing, but at the time I was staying with my mom, she lived in a townhouse and there was like, you know, I don't know, like a foot of grass back mm-hmm. there. So it wasn't like a thing we cared about, but uh, there were other counties no, Megan, that Megan, had even... You did care. You were growing it for the bees. You were... Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just spin it in I a was positive. just trying to get out of Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like on the phone to you like... Get me out of here. I can't I live like, here anymore. Come to Hawaii. Oh. It'll be amazing. It was so amazing. Yeah. So good. Yes. Uh, there were some other local counties that were like, like much heavier on their restrictions, total bans of water. And it was based on whatever, you know, counties felt like they needed to do to conserve water the best way. So uh, on October 16th, 2007, Governor Sonny Perdue gave the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers until the evening of October 17th to come up with a plan for the continued release of water for Florida wildlife. He was like, I guess he gave them an ultimatum. He was like, you better get this done in 24 hours. I mean, I'm sure that they were working on it before then, but still. Uh, Senator Johnny Isaacson stood before the Georgia General Assembly and said, quote, the health, safety and welfare of people are threatened. They are threatened by an act of this Congress passed that had no intention to threaten them. Um, And then I guess eventually they decided to uh, not sue the Army Corps of Engineers, but the Lake Lanier Association, which is a group of folks who I did look them up because I was considering them for an organization to support. But Mm -hmm. the Lake Lanier Association I don't know. Again, I just keep thinking about money laundering. (laughs) I'm not saying that they are. But when I looked them up on Charity Navigator, they were not assessed at all. And they've been around for a while. And also I looked at their board and they're really, really white. A lot of 
old white guys on that wow. board. So I was you like, mm, I don't know. Really I'm not trying to talk smack against. <laughs> I'm not trying to talk smack against the Lake Lanier Association, but I am kind of. Uh, but like they, they need to diversify. Did, they need I guess, to have, the, need to have like a few more. Um, yeah, they, a little more diversity on their board. A little bit more diversity. Yeah, yeah that would and be the helpful. two. Uh, there's only like two staff who are running that association, and they're both women. And it just feels, I mean, it feels like the board runs it and then they have these like glorified secretaries doing the work. I don't know. There's just something about it. It gives me, it rubs me the wrong way. I think it's too, because there's a lot of Georgia haircuts in that picture that I saw. But I'm sure it's fine. We're not (laughs) saying anything bad about it. It's probably fine. I'm sure it's fine. You just couldn't find the information. They're probably great. They're probably great. Totally. I couldn't. I couldn't. Um, So the Lake Lanier Association, they did file a private legal action Um, And then Governor Perdue attempted to reach an agreement with Florida over the water releases that fell through. Um, And then that meant that the final decision on the release of water from the lake for the use of uh, Florida wildlife was made by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, which happened, of course. They're like, this is our, yeah, obviously release the water. (laughs) It's happened. They're like, duh. Seriously. (laughs) Right. But I will say, you know what, let me just make a little side note. Lake, the Lake Lanier Association, they do a lot of cleanups. So I did notice that. That's great. Good job, you guys. Good job. Nobody from that association's listening. I hope not. Um, all right. So eventually, after uh, the winter rains, February 18th, 2008, the water level of Lake Lanier rose enough to end the record low phase of the drought crisis. And then there was a flood later in 2009, right? Because because then it was like a lot of water and it was too much water and there was some flooding that happened. Uh, There was a similar drought situation had occurred in late 2008. And then again, there was winter rainfall that helped. And in March of 2009, there was a climatologist. I guess he is the climatologist of the state of Georgia. I didn't even know you could be that. It's kind of cool. His name is David Stooksbury. Great name. Uh, He declared that the drought was over. I know, right? And he said, quote, soil moisture is near normal. Stream flows are near normal. Small and medium-sized reservoirs are full. And then he said, there is still the 500-pound gorilla sitting in the room, and that's Lanier. So I'm not, I mean, I guess he's talking about maybe he doesn't like Lake Lanier. I'm not really entirely sure. I think he's just talking about that Lake Lanier wasn't fully up to its regular level. Okay. But what kind of climatologist is he? I mean, he's not trying to say that climate change is, you know, not happening. He's not that guy. He's not one of those people, is he? No, no, no. I don't think so. I would hope not. I bet he is a climatologist for Georgia, so you never know. You, you never, never know. know. Mm-hmm. Just saying. And just side note, I can talk like this because I grew up there. So, so yeah. it's fine. It's fine for me to be rude to Georgia. <laughs> uh, the record low lake levels had revealed parts of the lake bottom not seen since the 1950s when it was flooded, including remnants of a road, which I think is that Highway 53, and foundations of homes that had been abandoned for the construction. They also could see parts of that roadway or that like raceway that was there. Uh, there were a, a lot of discarded trash was there, boat batteries, sunken boats, uh, were also discovered. And then, this is the best, local efforts were organized to clean up the lake bottom. Several automobiles, some stolen, discarded firearms, uh, and discarded firearms were also recovered by law enforcement officials. Which makes me think of... Lake Mead. Why can't I think of the name of it? Lake Mead. Yes, Lake Mead. Yeah. But yeah, they didn't say anything about bodies, just stolen cars and 
and guns. Oh, but for sure there's bodies. I'm sure the bodies were buried someplace else. Oh no, but I mean, how Guaranteed. creepy. It just didn't is that? it just didn't go low enough. That you're just like so swimming creepy. and there's just like an old house right beneath you. I mean, not right beneath, right beneath you, you, but still. But That's still. Just super creepy. <laughs> um all right. So real quick, let's talk about uh, Lake Lanier's name. Uh, Lake Lanier is named after a poet, uh, Sidney Lanier. He was a soldier for the Confederacy during the Civil War, so problematic. And I just to say that I pulled this information off of a website. I think it's called Anti-Racist USA. <laughs> so, I mean, it's there are some factual things in here that it is uh, tinged with a little bit of bias. Right. Okay. Just to take that into account. But he was a Confederate soldier in the Civil War. After he died, the United Daughters of the Confederacy were like super into his poetry and really fought to get his writing into the curriculum in Southern schools. So there was a big uh, push for that. Apparently, they also have a few cookbooks that are named after him. They're super into it. Uh, and then during his life, Sidney Lanier wrote poetry and he did write one pre-war plantation novel in which he depicted the South prior to the Civil War as a kind of chivalrous, I can't say that word, chivalrous kingdom that was the epitome of gentility. So, yeah, not quite <laughs> the reality of what was going on. Uh-huh. I'm just going to read directly from what this website wrote because I was like, yeah, that's all right. Uh, this kingdom was populated by chivalrous men and delicate damsels pursuing agrarian, intellectual, and romantic endeavors. Critics grade his work and legacy as that of a minor poet with a few notable exceptions. Lanier's pre-war Southern novel, quote, Tiger Lilies, is emblematic of a skewed view of life in the pre-Civil War South. Southern plantations may indeed have been have kept up an appearance of gentility and civility for their visitors, but the wealth creating these circumstances was built upon the back backbreaking labor of unpaid enslaved people who were routinely mistreated and abused emotionally and physically through lashings and rape. So they should change the name of this lake. I'm just saying it's not the best. It seems like he's not the most aggressively racist person ever, but also he, I think, promoted. It's like idealizing uh, you know, that time. I, I do, Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, you know, being realistic about it. Like, let's just be truthful so here. that yeah. is... And it's just not. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I'm sure that Georgia could have picked worse people to name that lake after, uh, but still, not Maybe the best Maybe that's name, why it's guys. so creepy. It's all these things. Maybe that's why it's things, so Jen. haunted. All right. So actually, Jen, I love that you just said that because here's the part that I know you're going to be interested in. You know I love ghosty stuff. (laughs) Bring it. I'm waiting. I've been waiting this whole time. you do. It's so great. All right. Nearly 700 people have died at Lake Lanier since its creation in 1956. 200 of those from the 1990s until today. So these statistics have earned it... Uh, the title of one of the deadliest lakes in the United States, and local divers have even reportedly bumped into rogue body parts during lake excursions. Ew. Causes of death range from boating collisions to drowning to freak accidents, and I'm just going to throw this out there, maybe some mob stuff. Who knows? Just uh, saying. <laughs> there is... Right. There is a representative from the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. They said Lake Lanier gets more than 10 million visitors any given year. There are bound to be some incidents. We do our best to keep people safe, but not everyone follows the rules. I mean, this makes sense, right? But 
When you look at surrounding lakes, like Lake Alatuna, which I have been to, for example, Lake Alatuna has roughly the same number of visitors, but like a third of the death rate. And so if you were to ask people locally in Georgia, why do you think Lake Lanier has more deaths than any other lake? They're going to tell you because the lake is cursed. That is why. We're going to talk about some curses. I love Some that. legends, some curse legends. Yeah. And actually, a little side story. I went to Lake Alatuna. I've been there a couple times. Uh, and I would say that probably that one third death from Lake Alatuna is due to like E. coli poisoning. Like they're always <laughs> having levels. It's just, it's just a poop levels. Lake. Can just, everyone please stop pooping poop in the lake? Like, <laughs> please. <laughs> That's all I can think about. What, about, And I don't know if it's just because when I visited there, that was always, it was like a water quality thing. Like they were always like, water quality is bad today. Don't go in the water. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, why. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot. They just don't go in the water because it's dirty all the time. Ew. So, all right. Yeah. So let's talk about the legend of the curse of Lake Lanier. Dun, dun, dun. Bring um, it. There's this... Atlanta-based associate editor for a site called Narcity, N-A-R-C-I-T-Y, which is based out of Canada, I think Ottawa, maybe, um, Emile Fleming. And they shared an experience where a man in a town that's by Lake Lanier warned him about the lake one summer many years ago. He said, like, stay away from the water. Quote, he seemed old enough to be my grandfather, you know? He explained that the... I should do this in, like, a Canadian accent, (laughs) but I'm not gonna... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, he explained <laughs> he explained that the county surrounding the water once housed black residents who were violently run out of town by a group of white men as a result the ancestors of remaining spirits from the black people who were murdered lingered on so there's a descendant of the Bagley family who um, owned 60 acres of land in Forsyth County before they were forced to leave uh, his name is Elon Osby uh, and he said I think there should be reparations. There was a time when I didn't. I just wanted somebody to say, we're sorry. But I think that people deserve more than that now. That's just not quite enough. So he he was talking to CNN in an interview. Agreed. When he said that. 60 acres? Agreed. Yeah. If they think about that... 60 acres. If people had been able to, to live freely without, you know, those 60 acres, yes. like what that would have equaled to now in these people's families and their lives, mm-hmm. of course... They do deserve reparations. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Author, historian, and English teacher at Georgia Northwestern Technical College and Kennesaw State University, Lisa Russell, adds to the mystery saying, Before the land was buried in water, it was lush and fertile, with rabbits and squirrels scampering around. Communities thrived with fancy names like Castleberry Bottom. The government offered locals money for their farmland. Most of it had been in families for generations, making it almost impossible to put a price tag on it. At first... The government assured landowners that they were being paid for the true value of the land and buildings, but residents found it hard to price generations of memories, hard work, and deep roots. A host of emotions accompanied the talk of relocation, anger, resentment, fear, anxiety, bewilderment, and apprehension. To them, their land was priceless. Russell wrote about this in her book. It's called Underwater Ghost Towns of North Georgia, which I know you'll want to read. (laughs) Totally. I feel like that sounds like a pretty solid book. I'm looking it up on Audible right now. Yeah. Um, Eventually, there were like 700 families that sold a total of 56,000 acres to the government. Some of those families later, of course, regretted that decision uh, because they realized they couldn't survive on what the government gave them. 
They just can't. And then to prepare the land that they were going to fill with water, the Army Corps of Engineers demolished or moved anything that they considered dangerous. So there were like large trees that were hauled away, any kind of like barn or wooden structure, anything that might float up to like hit boats or Mm -hmm. would be uh, a danger to boats, that Mm -hmm. was removed. Uh, Bridges, water intakes, those were all relocated. But Jen, the one thing that was difficult to relocate was the cemetery. Oh, this is very (laughs) poltergeisty. Yeah. Yeah. So while the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, they identified and moved marked graves. Like, I think that they contacted some of the families and they were like, where do you want to move these, you know, graves? Uh, But there were a lot of unmarked graves. And I mean, if you think about it, right, we're talking about uh, indigenous communities, Mm -hmm. you know, like those remains. Where were those buried? People don't know. Exactly. Uh, There's, yeah, unmarked graves from like before the Confederate times, just a lot of stuff that people don't really know about or forgot about. So it is likely that some unmarked graves are inadvertently left behind. This is a spokesman from a U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Caesar Yabor. That's what he said. The technological capability to identify and verify unmarked burial sites through subsurface scanning or other means was far less robust 70 years ago, Yabor told CNN. While the Corps made every effort at the time to locate unmarked burials, the limited capabilities of the time make it probable that unanticipated finds of human remains are possible, whether from the antebellum and civil war periods or of Native American origin from pre-colonial and ancient times. Ew. It's like in Poltergeist when they're like, you moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. (sighs) Remember that? You never, you didn't watch it, did you? You, I, I'm not a huge fan of, I've seen the poltergeist, scared of scary um, but it creeps stuff. me out. So I just. Oh, so this, um, it's, uh, I, it's I saw this scary. here that in October, so for Halloween, they're going to bring it back to the big screen. I'm just oh, like, no. I was little, I was sort of little when that came out, but I, it scared the crap out of me. I mean, I don't think it will scare kids now, I just but remember still, Steven Spielberg movies kind of just are ageless, you know, they're just it's true. Good. Well, and I feel like. Isn't there a part at the end when they're like in the water under the foundation of the house or something and there's like skeletons and stuff? No, because I remember that being really hectic. They were they were going to put a swimming pool in. So they had already dug the hole. And when things started going real crazy and then they were having like crazy rainstorms, she fell because it was muddy and she slipped and she fell into the water where they had dug the hole for the pool. And then all these skeletons and just like movie trivia. Those were real skeletons. Oh, no, 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 Yep. No. as hell. Horrific. It's messed up. That's horrific. Oh, that whole, that whole set was haunted. All right. Cursed, supposedly. I heard, yeah, I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Not into it. Okay. Moving on. Uh, so there were a bunch of concrete block foundations and also smaller buildings that had foundations that they couldn't, or they were just like concrete. So they were like, we're not going to worry about those. So those remain submerged. Uh, some people have claimed to hear church bells from a sunken church, but this guy, Caesar Yavor told CNN that that's not possible. Quote, no such structure was known to be left behind due to the height issue. If it had a steeple, as well as uh, floating wood issue. So if it, yeah, if it was too tall or it had wood, they wouldn't have left it. Right. So I guess the only way they would have left it if it was like a really short concrete church with no steeple, <laughs> they would have left it. But <laughs> a anyway. really crappy church, basically. <laughs> but Lisa Russell says 
The changes wrought by the human-made lake are scarier than the spooky folklore. Quote, haunting is sometimes defined as something that is difficult to ignore or forget, something that is poignant and evocative, she said. The real haunting in this story is how history made it impossible to ignore what was done to the land in North Georgia. Once a land of wild rivers, North Georgia is now broken with dams and humid-made bodies of water that changed the ecosystem. Once a land that belonged to indigenous people is now buried under the water, making recovering a lost culture impossible impossible. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, I kind of agree with her. There's the lost culture, there's the ecosystem, the racial history, all of that combined makes Lake Lanier. I feel like that's the curse of Lake Lanier. That is the curse. Yeah. From all directions. So I'm going to tell you the most famous ghost story. And I read this in an article by a woman, um, Anjali Njeti. She actually lives I think on Lake Lanier or near Lake Lanier in like Forsyth County. And I cannot remember the way I did link it in the show notes. If you want to read the whole thing, it's a great article, but I'm just going to, I pulled this one story from the article. So uh, this is the most famous ghost story. It is known as the watery sightings and the lady of the lake. Mm -hmm. I love it. In 1958, there were two friends, Delia Mae Parker Young and Susie Roberts, and they went to a dance after they went to get gas and they skipped out on paying for it. Like they filled up and just took off because <laughs> it was That's like a time when you do that. Uh, as they were running away, right, as they were like skipping out on the gas, they skidded off of a bridge while crossing the lake and they disappeared. The following year, a fisherman came upon a decomposed, unidentifiable body floating near one of the bridges, but it wasn't until 1990, over three decades later, that officials discovered a 1950s Ford sedan with remains belonging to Roberts, which meant that the body that they found in 1959 must have belonged to her friend Parker Young. Uh, locals didn't need a forensic analysis to know this. They had seen Parker Young themselves wearing a blue dress she had borrowed that night from Roberts, wandering near the bridge with her handless arms. So the story goes, she snatches unsuspecting lake goers and drags them to the bottom. Ew, handless arms? That's it. Like what happened to her Handless hands? arms. I'm like, oh. So how does she but snatch also, them? How does she drag she them just to the bottom? Like she would just be like hitting them with her. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, unless she like wraps around her their wrist. neck. She does it with her feet, Jen. She does a chokehold. Yeah, maybe she does a chokehold. I think that's the way. Yeah, that's really handless creepy. arms. Ugh. I'm like, but why does she have handless arms? What happened to her hands? I know. I mean, there's nothing I wrong with know. handless arms in general. It just, I'm just saying, like for a ghost that mm -hmm. you don't know the story, like what happened right. anyway. Yeah, I want to know. Well, maybe she gets hooks now. Maybe she got some hooks, Ugh. and that's how she just like put some hooks on there. I don't know. Can ghosts get hooks? Can you do that? A la Arrested Development. That's <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Those are most of the uh, stories for Lake Lanier. I did want to talk about one piece of nature that I love, and I think you're going to enjoy this. I want to talk about catfish. Not just because they're, you know, catfish, but... Are you going <clears> to <throat> talk about I mean, going catfish are amazing. I am going to talk about going England. I don't know I if you it. know my I'm friend, kind of but obsessed. I did grow up in Oklahoma, so... Yes. yes. Noodling is something we're going to talk about. All right, Let's so Lake Lanier has small channel catfish, which are about one to two pounds. Uh, and then you can find flathead catfish, which are 10 to 40 pounds. Uh, those are mostly in like the Chattahoochee and Chesity arms of the lake. But the smaller channel catfish are kind of like everywhere in Lake right. Lanier. 
A little info on the channel catfish. They have dark blue to olive backs with pale to yellowish sides and bellies and scattered dark spots that often disappear when they get bigger. Uh, They have a deeply forked tail, an overhanging upper jaw, dark chin whiskers, and an anal fin with a curved margin. So enjoy that. The image in your brain. Uh, they, but it's <laughs> the whiskers. Uh, they're most. Sim- it's the whiskers. Yeah. That's the thing. I love that they have giant chin whiskers. They do. Anyway, uh, they are most similar to blue catfish, which do not have spots, uh, and they have, I guess, paler chin whiskers. So if you're looking to identify them, that's how they're a little bit different. Their scientific name is Ictalurus punctatus. Use that last one, Jonathan. I'm sorry. Uh, The adult size can be 10 to 50 inches long. Uh, Then there's the flathead catfish. They are more broad. They have a flathead. That makes sense. That's their name. They have a lower jaw that protrudes beyond the upper jaw. So (laughs) I love it. Uh, The backs and sides are brown to yellow with black to olive brown modeling, fading to a dirty white or yellow belly. The tail is not forked and the tip of the upper lobe is lighter than the rest of the tail. And their scientific name is Pylodictus olivaris. Very nice. They can be 15 to 61 inches long and they are native to the Coosa and Tennessee river basins introduced in the Chattahoochee, Flint, Okmogee, Oconee, Altamaha, Satilla, and Savannah River Basins. I have been to all of those places. I went rafting on the Oconee. I think I told the story about getting caught underneath the raft. That's where I got caught on the Oconee River. So, but did you know that? All right, so largest catches. Oh, sorry. sorry. Their whiskers are called um, barbells. Did you, do you have that in your thing? Oh, no, I didn't look that part up. No. Yeah, they're called, they're actually called. That's kind of cool. Barbells, but they also help them like, they help the fish find food using like their sense of touch and taste from that. And that um, they also are called oh, catfish like because when you catch them, they make this noise that sounds like a cat purring. And I do remember that as a child because we caught a lot of catfish. What? Yeah. I do. Not, I thought it was just the whiskers. I, that's kind of blowing my mind. I did not look up too much information on catfish, obviously. Well, Thank you, Jen, for those I did grow up additions. on a lake, just saying. We got us some catfish. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the largest catches for channel catfish. The largest catch ever is a 44-pound, 12-ounce fish uh, that was caught by Bobby M. Smithwick in the Altamaha River, May 18, 1972. And then for flathead, there's a tie. Uh, these fish are both 83 pounds. The first guy was Carl Sawyer in the Altamaha River, June 22, 2006. And he is the, I guess, Georgia state record holder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jim Devaney, uh, also caught in the Altamaha River, July 11, 2010. So good job. Those fish have to be mounted on their wall for sure. Uh, guaranteed. Yeah. They're huge. And when they're like, it was this big, it really was that big. Yeah. They're like, one of the pictures, I think it's of the flathead, one of the guys, I mean, they have pictures of all three of these fish. I'm probably going to post them. They're like holding the fish up and they're just like, stay. I mean, it's like same height yes. as he's like, as he's, they're just massive, man. I will, okay, this is a little side story. And I don't know if I've told this one before. I feel like I have, I don't know, I've told you this story, but I know I've told you this story before. I don't know who told it on the podcast before. <laughs> but when I was very young, <laughs> I think I was like old enough though. I was like 11, 10 or 11. Like I was old enough to kind of like be aware of stuff. Uh, my mom uh, had dropped me off at a babysitter's house and she's like this old country lady. And I think her name was like Nana Wood. And she lived out in the middle of nowhere. 
in like a county over from ours. But my mom had taken my brother there. My brother, I think, remembers this woman like very fondly. Uh, And she was like his main babysitter. But I was older. We went over there. We're just going to be there for the evening. Our parents were going to pick us up either the next morning or like that night or something. I don't know what was going on. But we went there and my mom told me to dress in my nightgown. Okay. My Nana had made me like these series of nightgowns. Like for winter, I had like a fleece nightgown. And for summer, I had these like, uh, you know, like nice cotton, but like thin cotton nightgowns. And they all had That's like so frilly sweet. stuff on them, like lace on all of the ends. Oh, the, I love them. They were great. And like they had like for the winter ones, they had lace around the wrists, you know, it was, mm-hmm. they were like very kind of old fashioned, but like I love them because my like, you just them. scared the shit out of people and that when night, you snuck I, up and you're like, old timey nightgowns <laughs> just showed up in somebody's kitchen window hey <laughs> some sugar just somebody just had a heart attack <laughs> oh god so good 100 percent. i like scared myself in the mirror i was like who's that ghost girl oh my god <laughs> oh so good so it was summertime And my Nana had given me this like yellow, it's like a yellow background and it had a ruffle at the bottom and like lace around the collar. And it was kind of a tank top, like a square tank top on the top and lace around the shoulders and the collar. And it was yellow and it had these like tiny, tiny strawberries all over it. Right. Uh It was super cute. Okay. But I'm like, I was getting to that age where I was starting to develop a little bit up top, Mm -hmm. but, and like, I was going to like a babysitter's house and we were going to go to sleep. Like that's what was happening that night. We get in the car, we drive over there. I don't even think I had shoes. Okay. Like they were just dropping us off to go to sleep. Uh, and actually this, her name was Nana Brown. I'm sorry, not Nana Wood. So Nana Brown, uh, she, yeah, it's this like old Southern white lady. I mean, they always had fried chicken. I swear to God, every time I went over there, there was like a plate of fried chicken. Um, they also had a pool that had like a slide in it that would like scratch your butt when you went down. It was like really... Uh, it was like that fiberglassy kind that uh-huh. never really got wet enough for you to slide down it all the way because it was so old. Uh, and they had a fig tree in the backyard. Man, that I kind of love that place. They also had a trampoline that my mom hated, but I love jumping on it. Uh, anyway, so we get there, get out of the car, go into Nana Brown's house. And she's like, honey, we're going to the Catfish Hollow tonight. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and my mom was like, it's fine. You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're fine. And they leave. It was just not fine. We go to. It's not fine. It's this place in my hometown that is like everybody goes there on like the weekend. Everybody you know goes to the Catfish Holler because you know Catfish Holler. And you eat catfish and hush puppies everybody's going to be there. I'm in my freaking nightgown. Okay. So, I'm in my nightgown. You can probably story. see my I never told me this. <laughs> so Have I never told you? I, the catfish and holler we, in your old oh my God. nightgown. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> and I swear to God, Jen, you could see like a little bit of my underwear through it. Like it was a thin <laughs> cotton material. Okay. It was so thin. And Nana Brown was like, don't even worry about it, honey. We're going to go. Nobody's going to care. And I was like, so embarrassed. This is probably why I don't, I love cardigans. This is probably why I love cardigans. (laughs) And so, and when you get there, you had to stand in this line. It had like the kind of bank teller old, like leather divider thing. You know what I mean? They're like between posts and it's like a thick leather thing that like, Keeps oh, you yeah, in the yeah, line because yeah. you have to stand in a long line yeah. to get in the poles. Yeah, because it's like you're in like a, a queue to get to the restaurant because it's so freaking popular. It was like Saturday night. It was either Friday or Saturday. Night, and it was like packed. It was freaking packed. 
And this old lady comes up to me. I'll never forget. She like touches my arm and she's like, oh, honey, I just love your dress. It's so cute. (laughs) Where'd you get that dress from? And I was just like, my Nana made it. (laughs) It's a nightgown. (laughs) Oh, God. So embarrassing. And I just remember sitting in the booth. I'm almost a thousand percent sure I had no shoes on. Just sitting in that booth, like mortified, mortified, Jen. That's, that my, amazing. that's my story about, well, did you I will eat say that catfish? I love catfish. I A lot of people don't. 100%. Yeah, I love catfish. Hush puppies, all that's, yeah, catfish is like kind of my jam. But a lot of people don't like catfish because they're bottom feeders, you know? Yeah. People think they're dirty, but they're not. They're not dirty. They're good. No, it's all right. Uh, you, so, you yeah. You cook right. it, you, like you fry it like the whole thing. So the way, well, yeah. I mean, the way I grew up doing it, so you, you just take off the head and you kind of take out all the insides mm-hmm. and then you skin the skin off, cut off the tail, and but you just... fry it like one whole piece. That's how we did it. Yes. And it's always in like yeah. a cornmeal batter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what I love about it. Yeah. It's yeah. very tasty. It's very good. So you guys go, go eat some catfish. All right. So let's talk about noodling. Noodling, if you don't know, <laughs> is fishing for catfish using one's bare hands and is practiced primarily in the southern United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, the noodler places their hand inside a discovered catfish hole or holler, if you will, uh, to catch the catfish. Uh, there are other names for this activity. I did not know this. So tell me if you've heard these before. Um, hogging, dogging, grappling, grabbling, and tickling. People in no, Oklahoma tickle catfish. Um, Sorry, no, I, I'm, I'm yeah, not I've only sure. ever heard of noodling. Uh, it's used primarily for the capture of flathead catfish, uh, but it can be applied to all kinds of hand fishing methods, regardless of the method or species of the fish that you're fishing. And I guess there's no known origin for the term noodling. Um, it's also been applied to various unconventional methods of fishing, such as anything that doesn't use a bait rod and reel um, or spear gun. So, uh, but that's much less common to not be referring to catfish and your noodling. That's not typical. Right. Uh, The term has also been applied to a similar way of capturing snapping turtles. And I'm like, hold on a second. Are people putting their hands inside snapping turtle mouths? Like, no. That's such a bad idea. That's a really bad idea. You're going to lose like your whole hand. Yeah, it's a really bad. I'm hoping that they just mean they're putting their hand. Yeah, I'm hoping they mean they're just putting their hand into like a place where snapping turtles would be and like pulling them out maybe by their tails or something. But just snapping turtles, no, thank you. I mean, just that's like the one kind of reptile I do not f with. Yeah, you just don't. Right. You don't don't noodle for those. Honestly, I've never been noodling. They're so aggressive. We just we didn't roll that way. I've seen it, but I've never done it. It's yeah. so scary. <laughs> I don't want to put my hands I mean, hands you can definitely lose holes. fingers. Yeah, I don't want. Yeah, okay. you don't know what's in there. No, I don't know what's in there. And there's um, a lot of like water moccasins so, and other stuff in these lakes that I don't uh, know. All the things. I'm just good. All the things. Yeah. Dead bodies? No, thank you. There's <laughs> dead bodies. I still want it. <laughs> just like dead, bodies. dead body, um, no hands. I'm good. Just ghost. Oh. Ghost people. <laughs> I'm so, good. That, well, that... Jen, oh my God, that's how she lost her hands as she went noodling <laughs> as a ghost. <laughs> she her snappy turtles. Yeah. Oh. 
Oh, God. It's all coming together. All right. Uh, So due to concerns over the safety of noodlers and sustainability of fish populations, the technique of noodling is illegal in some states where it once was traditionally practiced. As of 2002, it is legal. And as far as I can tell, it's still legal in some way in 14 states. There are some restrictions in places on like the species or the size of the fish um, and then specifically like when you can do it or how you can do it. Uh, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Illinois, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Wisconsin. Uh, You can also do it there. And I think it has been legalized since 2002 in Texas and West Virginia. So Mm -hmm. go to any of those states. Go noodling. Uh, noodling season in Georgia specifically uh, is from March 1st to, the, to July 15th. And I just pulled this one quote that I love from this noodling website, which, by the way, I think I put a link in here for this like uh, page where you can go talk about catfish and noodling. Mm-hmm. It's like a forum for fishermen and it's glorious and you should go check it out. But this is from another website about noodling. It said, can you imagine, which made me laugh, can you imagine... <laughs> Wading waist deep in water in a creek or river and sticking your hand up into a hole in the bank under the water, you might find a catfish. If you do, grab it in the gills and pull it out for supper. If you find a snapping turtle or snake, I guess you can ease your hand out slowly and hope your fingers don't become supper. Oh. There you go. Yeah. No. (laughs) I guess it's like a how-to noodle. Jeez. All right. Um, Are you ready for my organization to support? Absolutely. Uh, So I chose this organization after like doing a lot of searching on Charity Navigator and just finding a lot of Lake Lanier stuff that seemed not right and they were not rated and I was kind of disappointed in that. I finally decided on an organization that I was a part of when I lived in Georgia. It was amazing. I loved going to the meetings. I learned a lot of stuff. It's called the Chattahoochee River Keeper. Their mission is to educate, advocate, and secure the protection and stewardship of the Chattahoochee River, including its lakes, tributaries, and watershed in order to restore and conserve their ecological health for the people and wildlife that depend on the river system and in recognition of the important ecosystem functions provided throughout the region and planet. They were established in 1994. I joined them in like, I think 2000, 2002 maybe. I can't remember. Anyway, the Chattahoochee River Keeper employs a variety of strategies to protect and preserve the Chattahoochee River, its lakes and watershed. They include water monitoring, education, research, advocacy, communication, collaboration, and legal action. Over time, they have steadily grown in size, scope, and influence. Currently, they have 10,000 members throughout the watershed. Uh, They have a four-star, this is true, highest rating on Charity Navigator for 11 consecutive years. And they are the 11th licensed program of more than 350 in the International Waterkeeper Alliance. So almost top 10, but they are an excellent organization. I loved, loved going to their meetings. I actually had this random experience where I met this guy who was like, in the river keepers and he was doing this like old growth research up in uh northern georgia like in the piedmont and he was mm-hmm. like oh i need someone to come with me and help like <laughs> like do these measurements on this like basal diameter of these trees and i was like i'll go with you and i have i mean there's that one hike i did here that i thought i was going to die on that hike was like i think that guy he must have like he must be like a robot or something. It was just <laughs> up and down these huge valleys, and I was just and I, at that time I was like in really good shape. I was doing field work myself, and I was just kind of like Jesus Christ, this guy. <laughs> I don't know if it was like the altitude or what, but it was real freaking hard. <laughs> I was so red faced. 
<laughs> I was dying. So anyway, you can find the Chattahoochee Riverkeeper at Chattahoochee. Uh, if you don't know how to spell that, it's C-H-A-T-T-A-H-O-O-C-H-E-E dot O-R-G. Amazing. And that is my story for Lake Lanier. Yeah. All right. That's that's my story, Jen. That's pretty cool. I'm sticking to it. I love it. I love it. I love that you did that uh, one. Yeah. So much fun. No yeah. lie. I was like, man, I would go live on Lake Lanier if it weren't for all the possible drug and, you know, money laundering things that are probably going so, on. <laughs> you would just be giving everybody side eye everywhere. Just everyone. All the time. So all the suspect. time. Uh, Jen. So uh, let's talk about our emergency preparedness kit. What would you uh, put in your emergency preparedness kit? So I need no time to think about this. Because I already know exactly what I would need. I'm, oh, I'm no. more thinking like what I would need to kind of like fend off any like scary ghosts. All you need mm-hmm. is an old timey nightgown made by your Nana. Because it is by far more frightening than anything on the lake. And I'm pretty sure you could, because I had those, I already had these nightgowns and they had like the really like kind of strong elastic around your wrist that when it got a little tight, you were losing yes. some circulation in your hands for sure. So yes. either that's how the girl lost her hands or she had pulled oh, them up no. inside. <laughs> she had pulled them up inside. You know how you do that with <laughs> Come on. Yeah, with pretend. Yeah. <laughs> they were there. They were there the whole time, actually. Oh. So yeah. I'm just saying <laughs> that's what you need. An old timey nightgown made by uh, your nana. Made by your nana. That's mm-hmm. amazing. I got to find a picture of, I'm sure there's a picture of me in one of those nightgowns. Guaranteed. (laughs) Guaranteed. There's more than one. Oh, God. Excellent. Thank you for that. Thank you for all those beautiful stories from your childhood. I love it so much. Yeah. You're welcome. I I know everybody's enjoying those just as much as I am. Going to the catfish holler. It's amazing. Catfish holler. So good. So good. Yeah. Thanks for that, man. Thank you so much to everybody who's... And thank you so much to everybody who's listening. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for holding in there while we're uh, separated by many miles and trying to deal with this uh, this call delay. I feel bad for Jonathan that he's got to like line us up uh, so that we're like, we sound like we're talking to each other at the same yeah. time. So just, or the just right hang time. on to your butts because we're going to give some more stuff soon, but we're going to wait till we're together because it's just too much. It's uh, It's so much better. I just need to it's see difficult. Megan like so right there. I need to see I need to see Saber. Right. It just, you know, it just needs to happen. <laughs> it's all part of the ambiance. So anyway, thanks. Agreed. Thanks so much, Nature Nerds, for hanging in there with us. We appreciate you so much. Yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. until next time. Don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Actually, let me just tell this little side story real quick about Lake Lanier. I'm pretty sure it was Lake Lanier that we went to. When I was like seven, I think I was like seven, we went and visited, I believe it was like cousins. It was like people on the, my dad's side of the family, dad I grew up with, his side of the family, they invited us up north because there are a bunch of them that lived in like Dalton, Georgia. And we went up there and we went to Lake Lanier and they put me on a knee board. And I remember thinking like, I don't really like this because your knees are strapped down. <laughs> You're like, I'm on it. feeling very uncomfortable <laughs> right now. Yeah. 
I'm not into this so much because you can't really like move well. And it ended up the kneeboard flipped over. And I remember it as this, like, I don't think it was actually as serious as I remember, but being (laughs) as young as I was, I was like, I'm dying. (laughs) Like I couldn't get myself back up. You know, like my knees were like tied to that boogie board, terrible board or whatever, you know, and I, I think I maybe had like two minutes, not even to 30 seconds of like time where I was actually like doing it, like riding, just holding on for um, dear life. But it was the most awful <laughs> holding on for dear life. I was crying. There was so much snot after I definitely thought I was dying. I'm pretty sure it was Lake Lanier. It, you know, in my mind, because I'm telling this story today, it makes sense that it was Lake Lanier because, because there's some crazy shit about crazy. Lake Lanier. Or how about yeah, when you because. have the big right. round, like, what are they? The round ones that you hold floaties? on to? No, like the yeah, big yeah. round floaties. Yeah, like little floaties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And your arms are stretched as far as they can go to hold on to those two sides. And then they're pulling you on that. I mean, you immediately yes. like fly off of it. Yeah. I don't know. I grew up water skiing. It's like you get water burn in the process. I grew up water skiing. My grandpa (laughs) was the one driving the boat. So he was just like super nice. So I didn't, I've only experienced it like later in life with other people who thought it was funny to try to like kill you behind the boat. Yeah. I vaguely remember there were some younger cousins who were kind of of that like go faster, you know, like Mm -hmm. really intense. And I was just like really sad. (laughs) And then I never (laughs) wanted to go to the lake again. I was like, I don't want to swim in lakes. Unfortunately, I lived in a landlocked county, so we did a lot of lake swimming. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. Anyway. Good times. All right. Moving on uh, from that story. Well, what's so funny about watching Ozark, and this might be a side thing, Jonathan. What's so funny about watching Ozark is that, like, you see, you know, Michael Bluth in it, but he's, like, not... He's not, he's not very Bluth. funny. He's like very serious. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so confusing to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just keep waiting for him to like turn to the camera and make a face or something. And it, right. you know, never happens. Yeah. So it doesn't. And there's no crazy. narrator. Anyway. You don't have a. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> uh, Job. No. Who's the guy that does the narration? Richie from, you know, it's Ron Howard. Oh. Ron Howard. Yeah. Ron so you don't Howard. Have, you don't have Ron Howard okay. like doing the narration. So, you know, it just throws everything off. Right. But would you watch a crossover of Ozark and Arrested Development? That would be amazing. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That would be so good. Someone do that. Someone please do that. I would pay that. money to see that. <laughs> <laughs> 